In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, we find the Hall of Faith, an impressive collection of people who put their trust in God on display for all to see. It is a list that spans from the first few pages of the Bible, leading all the way to Jesus himself. Who are these men and women? How did they live their lives? What does it take to make an impact for God? And what can we learn from their legendary example? Let's begin our journey into the great Hall of Faith. Well, I'm so glad that you're with us today, and I'm also thankful for those who watch it on TV and on the stream. We're glad that you're a part of the Sagebrush family as well. Let's get right into the Hall of Faith. Just out of curiosity, how many dads have taken walks with their wife and their kids? Just out of curiosity, raise your hand real high. Got any dads? Okay. How many of you regret that you did that? Anybody, anybody at all regret that you went for a walk? Yeah, my wife likes to go for walks. I don't go for every walk with her. I've gone for walks occasionally with her. I remember years ago when my kids were very, very small. In fact, I'll show you a picture of my kiddos at this time. Mackenzie was nine years old, Hannah was six years old, and Cammie was two years old. I noticed that when they came back from walks that they seemed to have a good time. And so I thought, the next time they go for a walk, I'll go with them, have a good time with them. So the next day, my wife asked me, she said, do you want to go for a walk with me and the kids? And I said, yes, I would like to go. She was shocked. She couldn't believe that I wanted to go. I said, yeah, I would like to go. So we head out through the garage to, to go on the little walk that we've got there. And, and uh, we were going through the garage, and my oldest daughter, Mackenzie, she said, Dad, is it okay if I ride my bike? And Hannah said, yeah, I, I'd like to ride my bike too. Hannah was still on training wheels, and I, and I turned my wife, and I said, I don't think that's a good idea that they have their bikes. I think we should all just walk together. My wife said, no, 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 no. It's okay. I've done this before. They, they can get on their bikes. I, I said, oh, okay. Well, we took Cammie, and we put her in the stroller, and we had a wonderful walk all the way till we got out of the driveway, and then it, it went south at that point, because as soon as we got out of the driveway, Mackenzie took off as fast as she could. Hannah, with her training wheel, starts trying to catch up to her sister, and I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me right now. They're way past the, the, the safety area that I thought was necessary. So I began to go running after my two kids. And I'm pushing the stroller as I'm running to catch up to them. And I'm screaming, slow down, slow down, slow down. Now you can hear me, can't you? Explain to me why my two sinners couldn't hear me in that moment. Because there were neighbors coming out of the house to see what the ruckus was in the streets because I'm yelling so loud. I finally catch up to my kids, and I tell them in no uncertain terms, don't you ever do that again. You need to listen to your dad. Why didn't you slow down? And Mackenzie, my liar, she looked at me, and she said, I didn't hear you. And Hannah said, yeah, we didn't hear you. There was wind in the ears of the helmet. We couldn't hear you, Dad. I said, don't do that again. Well, Cammie begins to say that she wants out of her stroller. I said, that's fine. So I picked her up, took her out of her stroller. I turned around. I turned around. <laughs> Ten seconds is all I was turned around. And Mackenzie and Hannah took off again like they did before. So I grabbed Cammie. I throw her back in her stroller. Now I'm running after the kids again. And I'm screaming, slow down, slow down. I'm running so fast. Cameron's got her hands in the air like she's praising the Lord on a roller coaster. You know what I'm saying? I go around another corner. I finally get those kids to stop. I said, I'm not just tell you. Cameron says, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. I said, what? She said, I'm too big for a stroller. I want to walk. 
I said, okay, that's fine. I took her out, and I sat her over there. I said, you can walk. And I turned, and I got ready to yell at my kids again. And Hannah said, my legs are sore. I don't want to ride my bike anymore. Can I ride on your shoulders? I said, what? My legs are sore. And Cammie says, I'm too big for a stroller. And I looked at Mackenzie, and I said, do you have a problem, too? She said, no, I got no problem at all. I turned around to check on Cammie. She's naked. I don't know why she's naked. My daughter always had a tendency to get in the backyard and get naked. I don't know why. Now she's doing it on the street. She's elevated her game a little bit, you know. I'm like, you got to get your clothes back on. This is absolutely ridiculous. And all of a sudden, Hannah's picked up a lizard and is chasing her sister around with the lizard. I thought your legs are too sore to ride a bike, but not too sore to chase your sister around. This is how my, my walk ended. You ready for this? I, I carried a stroller in one hand, pushed a bike in the other, had Hannah on my shoulders, and had Cammie crying behind me because she couldn't understand why I couldn't carry her too. Oh, and by the way, my wife disappeared as well. So that was great. Going for a walk with your family, it just, it just shouldn't be that difficult, should it? Fast forward years later, Cammie's now... 13 years old, and I'm sitting in the front room just minding my own business, watching some television. She comes in the room, and she says, hey, Dad, would you like to go for a walk with me? Now, how often does a 13-year-old girl say that she wants to go for a walk with her dad? I mean, at 13, you're generally embarrassed of your dad. I said, you want to go for a walk with me? And in my mind, I'm thinking, boy, there's something, something serious is going on. Something serious is going on. And it's so serious, my wife can't even handle it. It's, it's a job for dad right now, all right? Okay, so, I'll, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll go for a walk with you. So we headed out the front door, and we walked down the block a little bit. And, and I said, hey, you know, uh, what, 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 what's going on? Why did you want to go for a walk? And she pulled out her phone, and I thought, some kids texted you something. Show me what that is. She said, Dad, I got this new game. I said, new, what? New game? She said, I got a new game. I said, well, that's, that's great. You got a, got a new game. So, the, so what, we're what we're doing right now isn't you know, a big deal? She said, no, I, I got this game. It's called Pokemon Go. Do, do, you guys, do you guys remember Pokemon Go? You, you would go around and you would collect all of these monsters. And I'd read stories about Pokemon Go, about people would go crazy on the side of ledges and cliffs, and they would fall to their deaths trying to collect one of these characters. And I thought, if I ever get the chance to play Pokemon Go with my kids, I promised myself I would not go crazy. I would restrain myself because I have a problem with video games. I'm just going to tell you that right now. Here's how the game uh, would actually work, okay? So you would walk around, and you would find a monster, and then you would get him in your sights, and you would take one of these Pokemon balls and you would throw it at the monster and you would capture the monster. We had walked, I don't know, a couple hundred yards and we came upon our very first monster. And I said, okay, now study yourself, study yourself, study yourself right now. And she got the ball back there and she threw the ball and it, it exploded and she captured the, the monster. I said, way to go. That's awesome. That's amazing. She said, dad, that's why I wanted you to walk with me because you can take me places where mom won't let me go. I said, that's exactly right. We're going to go for it. It is on like Donkey Kong right now, you know. Over the course of the next hour, we caught five different monsters. We were just absolutely having the time of our life. And then a, a rainstorm happened. And it poured. I mean, it was pouring and pouring like you had just gotten out of the shower. We were absolutely soaked. And my daughter looked at me in the downpour and she said, Dad, do you want to go home? I said, no. 
don't want to go home. How can I put my head on the pillow at night knowing that there's monsters in our neighborhood? So we're walking around, thunder and lightning, rain coming down. We're catching ourselves some of these Pokemon monsters. We're going to take care of business. Now, if we get down to one sidewalk, and we're getting ready to, I don't know, maybe a couple of blocks away from home, still raining, and all of a sudden our radar goes off that there's another Pokemon right near us. But it's right over a brick wall in some person's backyard. So we have a choice to make at this point, you know. I mean, what are you, you going to do? The neighborhood is in trouble. There's monsters in the neighborhood, and my neighbor has got a monster in his backyard. I mean, if it was in my backyard, I'd want the neighbor to get the monster, right? At least that's how I justified it in my mind. And so I, I climbed the six-foot brick wall, and I went into the neighbor's backyard. Now, while I'm doing this, while I'm climbing the wall, my daughter, of course, is helping me get over the thing. As I get over to the other side of the brick wall, there's cars that are going by, and they're laughing at us because everybody was doing this, Right? And they're honking their horn, they're pointing at us, they're laughing, but I didn't care. I didn't care at all. There's monsters that need to be taken care of. So I get in the backyard, and I get myself ready to go, and I try to shoot the ball, and I miss, and the monster got away. I said, okay. So I turned around, and I climbed back over the brick wall, and more cars were coming by, honking their horn and laughing at us. But I didn't care. I thought, oh, I care. Then it's not like anybody knows me in this town. <laughs> That's when I saw the sagebrush sticker on their car. And that was kind of embarrassing. Here's, here's the point, friends. Going for a walk with your family, going for a walk with your daughter, it just shouldn't be that difficult, should it? It's the same way when you want to walk with God. It just shouldn't be that hard. And yet we make walking with God so very, very difficult. So today I want to talk to you about how to walk with God. Because if you read through the Old Testament, isn't that what we see again and again and again? There's this phrase that comes up. It comes up with a guy named Enoch. It says, Enoch walked with God. And then the next chapter it says that, that Noah walked with God. And then there's this reoccurring phrase that happens over and over and over again. And the phrase is this, God was with. God was with Abraham and Sarah. God was with Isaac. God was with Joseph. God was with Ruth. When you read through the Old Testament, their greatest desire was just to be in the presence of God, to seek God, to walk with God, to talk with God, to do life together with God. Well, today, as we start this series out, we're going to look at a guy who did exactly that, and his name was Enoch. Let's look at his story. It's found in Genesis. Oh, there's a picture of Enoch. He'll stare you down if you're not careful. All right, Genesis chapter 5, verse 21. It says, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God for 300 years. Years. Now let's, let's add this up. It says Enoch had lived 65 years, and then later on it says that he walked with God for 300 years. If you read a little farther in this passage of Scripture, his son Methuselah is the oldest person to ever exist. He lived 969 years. Now how in the world did they live so long? Well, there, there was a woman who wrote Abby a letter. Remember Dear Abby? Wrote Dear Abby 
a letter. This is what the letter said. Dear Abby, I'm 59 years old, and I'm going out with a man who is 79 years old. He says he wants to marry me, but his sister won't let him. Don't you think he's old enough to do what he wants? Sign Nellie. Well, Abby writes her back. Dear Nellie, by all means, he's old enough, but the question is, is he young enough? When you're in your 20s, friends, all you want to do is wake up romantic, don't you? And then when you're in your 30s, you want to wake up married. Boom, chicka, wow, wow. When you're in your 40s, you want to wake up successful. When you're in your 50s, you want to wake up rich. When you're in your 60s, you want to wake up contented. When you're in your 70s, you want to wake up healthy. And when you're in your 80s, you just want to wake up. That's the way that works right there, isn't it? How in the world did these people live so long? Well, in the days of Enoch, in the days of Methuselah, this was before the flood. And the Bible tells us in Genesis that there was a canopy that surrounded the earth. That there was water that surrounded the circumference of the earth and it blocked all the ultraviolet rays that were coming down that caused us to age so quickly. And so during the flood, God rips open the canopy, and that's how the flood starts. And even water comes up from the ground. Up until the time of Noah, it never rained on the earth. God watered it. And the mist would come up from the ground to water the plants and, and, and the trees. So here we have these people that live for this long, extended period of time because they didn't have the ultraviolet rays that we have today. That's amazing, isn't it, that they could live to be so old. Now, there are a couple of benefits to this. One, they could build great cities. Uh, also, they could populate the earth quicker. But here was the deficit of people living that long. You ready for it? They grew more and more wicked. They, they got more and more evil as every year came to a close. And so after the flood, and we'll talk more about this next week in the Hall of Faith, but after the flood, God limited the number of days that a man could walk on the face of the earth because the longer he walked on the face of the earth, the more evil he became. That was pretty much the way it was for everybody alive on the face of the earth except for a guy named Enoch who decided that he wanted to walk with God. Now, I want you to understand something. This is how rare it is to find somebody who actually wants to walk with God. Adam walked with God in the coolness of the garden. Now we go 700 years in the future, and now Enoch wants to walk with God. Nobody between those two has that, that characteristic. So here's the question I've got for you before I get into these three points. Do you want to walk with God? I mean, do you really want to experience him in your life? Do you want to have him be so very close to you that, that you know that this is the direction that he has for you, that you care more about him than you care about anything else? Do you want this? Because a lot of people say that they do, and then when they count the cost and they realize the sacrifice that it takes to truly walk with God, they're like, I'm not so sure I want to be that close to him. So what does it take? Because it's possible. Even in this day and time, it's possible for the likes of you and the likes of me to still walk with God. And if you do these three things that we're going to talk about, you will walk with God. So what were the three things that Enoch did? Well, the first thing was that he knew he was a great sinner. It is impossible. Let me say this again. It's impossible to walk with God if you don't realize that you're a great sinner. God does not walk with prideful people. God walks 
with humble people. So, so let, let's figure this out. So Enoch walk, uh, was on this earth for 65 years, and then something happened, and all of a sudden he decides to walk with God for the next 300 years. What changed? Well, I think the first thing that changed is as Enoch was walking around, he realized that this isn't all by accident. When you look at the splendor and the majesty of everything that God has made, I, I think Enoch came to the conclusion there must be a God behind all this. I don't think we're here because as the result of a muddy glob. I think we're here as a result of a mighty God. I don't think we're here because of random chance. I think we're here because of the choice of, of a creator that loved us and wanted to have a relationship with us. And I think Enoch just kind of resonated with that. He's like, there's no way all that we have and life that we have just happened by accident. But I think another thing got a hold of Enoch. I think he looked at the evil and the wickedness of people. I think he looked at the evil and the wickedness in his own life. And I think he realized at that point in time that that was an honoring of a holy God. See, he had heard of this holy God. He had probably heard the story about Cain and Abel. You remember that story, don't you? Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. It came time for them to sacrifice, give their very best offering to the, to the Lord. And so what did they do? Cain came with his leftovers, didn't he? He didn't bring his very best. He brought his leftovers to the Lord. And the Lord was not pleased with Cain's offering. But with Abel's offering, well, Abel brought his very best to the Lord. And the Lord was honored. And the Lord was pleased. And I think Enoch had heard that story and said, you know what? We need to give our very best to the Lord. And I think that's when he started walking with God, when he realized what a great sinner he was and what a great forgiver God is. Friends, write this down someplace in the notes if you're taking notes on the app. Just way down there at the very bottom. You know what? Write this down and remember this. If you don't think you're a great sinner, you'll never be close to God. If you're the kind of person who just thinks that your sin isn't that big of a deal, that you continue to rationalize your sin and justify your sin, I just want you to know you will never walk with God. Not closely. Why? Because you don't need him. I mean, if you're not that big of a sinner, you really don't need to rely upon him. You don't really need to depend upon him, right? But my goodness, when you understand how screwed up you are, you have this reliance upon the Lord and this dependency upon him. And you begin to realize that every breath that you breathe and every decision that you make and every choice that you choose, that it matters. And when you start to realize how jacked up you are and, and, and how, many, how many sins you commit in a day, and then you come to God and you say, oh, God, I did it again. I said it again. I had the attitude again. I blew it again. Then your heart becomes soft and palatable to God. And God can lead you and guide you and direct you into the best life possible. Isn't it always interesting that when we look around at the world that we live in today, we always say things like, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. You ever notice that? We always compare ourselves with the beer-drinking, porn-watching, wife-beating, child-abusing neighbor across the street. But you ever notice we never compare ourselves with the holiness of Jesus? I have a friend of mine, when he was in college, he had lots of different sexual encounters, and he justified it. You know what he said? I'm not murdering anybody. I'm not hurting anybody along the way. He justified his sin. How close do you think he could walk with God doing that? 
When we rationalize our sin, justify our sin, we act like our sin isn't that big of a deal. Do you honestly think you can get close to the Lord? So I'm working on this message, right? And I'm thinking to myself, it's been a while since I've really prayed and confessed my sin and named my sins. I'm, I'm kind of like you. You know, we say that little prayer at the end of the day, right? Hey, and forgive me for all my sins. And then we go off and we do our life the way we've always done it. But what about if we stopped and we really confessed our sin right there in the moment? So I took the challenge on that I'm going to challenge you with. Every time I messed up, every time I sinned, I rebelled against God, I confessed it right there on the spot. I did that for one day because it was so humiliating. Because I felt like every five minutes, I needed to apologize for something else. My mind began to wander to places that it shouldn't go. My attitude went sour. I became skeptical and cynical of other people around me. And every time I would say, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I, I shouldn't have done that. Help me to go a different direction. You know the verse of Scripture that kept coming in my head? There is none righteous, not even one. When you start depending upon the Lord every single day and you start confessing your sin as soon as you do it, you will get close to him. And you'll appreciate grace. And you'll appreciate forgiveness. But if you blow it off day by day by day and act like it's not that big of a deal and you just say some blanket prayer at the end of the day, you'll never walk closely with God. You just won't do it. The Bible says this. It says, God opposes the proud. That means stiff arms. That's what that literally means. He stiff arms the proud but he gives grace to the humble. Stiff arms. It's like a Kansas City chief stiff arming a Dallas Cowboy to the ground as he goes in for the ninth touchdown of the game. You know, that's what that is. So here, here, here's the challenge for you and me this next week. Every time you rebel against God, every time you let a word fly, every time your mind wanders, every time you sin against a holy God, you confess it in that moment. And you tell him you're sorry, and you allow, you allow the grace of God and the forgiveness of God to so overwhelm you that you find yourself loving him more and more and more because he's forgiven you for so very, very much. The softer your heart is to the Lord, the closer you can walk with him. Enoch, he knew he was a great sinner. Let me, let me give you the next one. Enoch also had a great faith in God. And what's that word faith means? It's an action word, isn't it? It's not just something we believe. It's the way that we live our lives. So you rely upon God. You depend upon God. You cling upon God. Look at what the Bible says here about Enoch's faith. Hebrews 11, verse 5 and 6. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Let me read that again. Without faith... It is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So let's stop and ask ourselves a question. Do you earnestly seek him? And maybe the better question is, is what in the world are we earnestly seeking? In a day and age when everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes, in a day and age when everybody was blowing God off and thumbing their nose at God, here's a man who earnestly sought after him. And he, he didn't care what anybody else said. He didn't care what anybody else thought. He lived his life for an audience of one. 
In my mind, Enoch was the original member of the fellowship of the unashamed. You ever heard of the fellowship of the unashamed? I think it was Enoch's mantra. Take a look at this. I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the power of the Holy Spirit. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of his. I will not look back. I will not let up. I will not slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense, and my future is secure. I'm finished with living for others. I am finished with colorless dreams, tamed visions, speaking empty words, and selfish giving. I'm not in this for power or popularity. I don't have to be right or recognized for what I do. I live by faith. I lean on his presence. I walk by patience and I'm uplifted by prayer. My pace is set. My goal is heaven. The road will be rough. My companions few, but my guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought or compromised, detoured or lured away. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice. I will not hesitate in the presence of the adversary or negotiate at the table of the enemy. I will not give up until I've stayed up and prayed up, paid up for the cause of Christ. I will go until he returns, give till I drop, and show his love till he stops me. And when he comes down for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. I am a disciple of Jesus. Does that describe you? Does that describe me? How, how big is your faith in God? Do, do you earnestly seek him? Or are you seeking after something else? Because there's lots of options, there's lots of choices, but the person who walks with God seeks his face. They realize that he's the treasure. There, there was a little girl, her, her name was Rachel, and uh, she was in elementary school, first grade, and it was that time for the parent-teacher conference where they have the open house kind of thing, and all the parents show up, and they look at the art and the place where the little child's desk is, and here's where they go to lunch and all that kind of stuff, and so Rachel's parents came in with Rachel, and the teacher had been looking out for them because she was concerned about Rachel, and she shared that with the parents. She said, I've got some concerns about Rachel. She's a lovely girl. She's always very obedient, and she always does everything she's supposed to do, and she's very quiet, and she's a good little learner, but I've got some concerns. I've got some other parents over here that I need to you know, introduce myself to, but uh, you mingle around the room for a little bit, and I'll catch up with you. I want you to specifically pay attention to the board over here where we have our arts and crafts section. Look at the newest display. It says, my treasure is, or a treasure would be. So the parents said, well, okay. So they, they walked over to this board, and there were little treasure boxes all over that they had drawn up, and then they had a flap, and inside the flap, the kids would draw a picture of what a real treasure would be. 
And so they began to look for Rachel's treasure box. And so they began to flip one after the other, after the other, after the other. And kids had drawn Xboxes and Playstations and gold coins and, and uh, unicorns for what a real treasure would be. They went all the way through the entire class till they got to the very bottom one, the one that was the lowest, all the way down here. You had to bend down to even open it up a little bit. They opened it up and they saw what their daughter had drawn. It was Jesus on a cross. And there were drops of blood pouring from his hands and his feet. And the drops of blood were in the shape of hearts. And she had written down, a real treasure is Jesus. The teacher walked over. She said, do you see my concern? And the dad said, I, I, I sure do. The J is backwards, isn't it? <laughs> Come on, is Jesus really your treasure? Is he what you're really seeking after? Because we spend an awful lot of time seeking a boyfriend or a girlfriend or seeking money or fame or a name for ourselves. Do we really spend the time seeking him? And if you want to have the faith that Enoch had, then that means you got to be able to well, say, whatever you want's what I want. And is that where you're at today? Or do you argue with him all the time? Ignore him all the time? No, it's whatever you want is what I want. Wherever you want me to go, that's where I'll go. Whatever you want me to say, that's what I'll say. Whatever you want me to give, that's what I'll give. Whatever you want me to sacrifice, that's what I'll sacrifice. Why are we so empty? Because the real treasure isn't Jesus. The real treasure is something else. And all the stuff of this world is never going to satisfy you. Enoch figured it out. The real treasure is a close, intimate relationship with a real God who really does love you and who really wants to help you one step at a time do life together with him. So Enoch realized, man, I'm a, I'm a great sinner. He had a, a tremendous faith in God. And let me give you the third thing he had going for him. He stood for the truth. Enoch lived in a, in a time period where people did not honor God. They, they did not seek God. Just as we're going to see next week, I mean, Noah was one probably in a couple of million. Enoch was the same way. And Enoch came before Noah, and he proclaimed to the people, because of their wickedness, that if they didn't repent, that judgment was coming their way. How do we know that? Well, the book of Jude tells us that. In verse 14 and 15, it says, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way. So Enoch looked around at his society. And he said, what you're doing is wrong. The way you're living your life, the way you're twisting truth, the way that you're making that which is right wrong and that which is wrong right, this has to end, it has to stop. And if it doesn't, judgment's coming. He did that before Noah. You know what Enoch was doing? He was warning them of the coming flood. If you don't repent, judgment's coming. Sound like a society that you might know a little bit about? We, we live in a world today that's messed up, friends. Oh, my goodness. Gender neutrality. Your child now gets to choose whether they're a boy or a girl. 
Is that not the dumbest thing you've ever heard in your entire life? And all the media and all the junk that's out there and, and all the sin, all the things that were obviously sins, things that the Bible says clearly are sin, now they are paraded up and down the street. And where is the Christian? Where is his voice? We pound on the pulpits and we yell out our condemnation. What good does that do you? The Bible says that we go to folks and we share the truth. People who are hurting. These folks are hurting. And they're looking for an answer. They're looking for hope. They're trapped in these strange ideologies and these strange thoughts, and they're empty. We go to them with gentleness and respect. Can I let you in a little secret? We stand for the truth, but we don't beat somebody across the face with the truth. When you have a conversation with someone about a difficult subject, and it turns into an argument, I want you to hear this, and I want you to hear it very clearly. You will never win someone over to Jesus through arguing with them. But you will win them to Jesus by loving them. By loving them with an in spite of kind of love and sharing with them lovingly the truth of God's word and that God has a greater plan and a greater desire for their life than anything they've ever dreamed or imagined. That's what Enoch did. He stood for the truth. Even when nobody else would. So are you standing for the truth in your home? Do you stand for the truth at your job, at your school? Do you let the Bible guide you? Is it your true north? Or have you been sucked into the cultural wars, twisting Scripture to say something that it doesn't ever say? There was a song that they taught me when I was a little kid in, in Sunday school. Maybe you've heard this song before. It was called, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. Do you remember that song? goes like this, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, Still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back, no turning back. God is looking for people who take their sins seriously, who walk humbly with him, people who believe him, who have faith in him, 
who go where he wants them to go and do what he wants them to do because they realize that he's the treasure. And God's looking for people who stand for the truth. And they speak it with gentleness and with respect because they care about that person just as much as they care about the truth. You do those three things, you'll have the time of your life. For you will walk with God. And who in their right mind wouldn't want to do that? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, to be close to you is our greatest desire. That's why we tuned in. That's why we're here in this room. We want a close, intimate, personal relationship with you. Lord, to have that every day, we need to remember what great sinners we are and what a great Savior you are. How you've taken our sin and you've thrown it as far as the east is from the west. How we're still in process. How you want to forgive us in a way we never even thought we could be forgiven. My goodness, you can even teach us how to forgive ourselves. And Lord, you're looking for a great big faith. People who will take you at your word follow you no matter what and you're looking for those who stand for the truth in a world that's gone crazy may we as your followers be the calm in the midst of the chaos may we be your truth tellers and may your Holy Spirit go before us to soften hearts so that people would understand what an amazing God you are and that your plan for our life is far greater than anything we're hearing about right now. Help us, Lord, this next week to walk with you and to stand for you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.